Hello, I'm George Cup. And I'm Callum Gurr. And you're about to listen to the podcast version of To Be Discussed with Cup and Gurr. Please note that this is a podcast, so it's not a live broadcast. So please do not try to vote in any of the polls or send in messages to any of our discussions, as your message will not be registered, but you may still be charged. Also, please note that not all of the opinions expressed in this podcast are our actual opinions, but may be expressed to create a better discussion. Anyway, enjoy the podcast and don't miss our live broadcast every Sunday on Wizard Radio Station. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to another episode of To Be Discussed with Cup and Gurr. My name is Callum Gurr, and I'll be joined by my co-host and political opposite, George Cup. Hello, everyone. This evening, Callum and I will prove to you that you can have impassioned debates whilst holding vastly different opinions without falling out at the end of the evening. Tonight, we'll be discussing, should the government end the UK's membership of Iramas? Which of these will cease to exist by 2030? And what will make you the happiest in the future? With each of these discussions being accompanied by polls, which you have the chance to vote on at wizardradio.co.uk forward slash listen. And these discussions will be open until the end of the song break between each topic. But first, last week we asked for you to send your questions over for George and I to answer. Uh, And the first one came in from Chris. Chris said, I'm sorry to be so predictable, but I need to ask a question about World War Three. Obviously, there isn't a World War Three until it actually happens. But my question is whether you think Boris Johnson would get the UK involved. Our prime minister isn't the best at knowing when to not get involved in something and likes being a part of the global conversation. So will he want the UK to not be involved, i.e. keep his mouth shut, or would he get us involved? I just want to know if I can expect to be forced to fight abroad or not. I'm making summer plans. <laughs> uh, George, what do you think of that? <laughs> um, I love how you, you summed that up, Chris. Uh, I, I personally think that Boris Johnson has played it rather well so far with um, all the tensions that are going on between Iran and America. Um, and, I, and I think he is being, he's trying to de-escalate the whole situation um, and make sure that there is calm between America and Iran. Um, I think that it's in Johnson's best interest not to get us involved in World War Three, And I think even America, Donald Trump is slowly realising that a war would not be very good for anyone because unfortunately even though Iran supposedly shouldn't have uh, any nuclear missiles um, they, they if they do then it would be 
catastrophic for the whole world and it's it's just not in anyone's best interest in, in times like this you need to be diplomatic you need to go in have the conversations and ensure that you are meeting each other's um, expectations in in the in talking to each other and keeping the situation calm um, and not escalating these 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 circumstances into war and violence um, so I think the Prime Minister so far has done a good job but right and, and also I don't think in the future he will want to go into war with um, the Iran I know it might sound stupid but I think Boris Johnson wants to try and keep the, the focus on Brexit very much and not have people's attention drawn away from that. So he will try and just keep everything peddling on between Iran and America. Try, if, if he can, with the Foreign Secretary, uh, Dominic Raab, try and be the middleman in, in the negotiations between Iran and America. What do you think, though, Callum? Um, well, I think you're, you're right in that the kind of way the government have dealt with it at the moment is that... that they don't want to get involved in a war and I, and I don't think the intention of the government right now is to get the UK involved in any in any World War Three kind of scenario mm. um, because they've talked a lot about de-escalating the conflict or, or potential conflict I should rather say um, however it's obviously well documented how erratic unpredictable and headstrong Donald Trump can be um, and you can kind of imagine him telling Boris Johnson that if there is a kind of a more prolonged conflict that the United Kingdom has to join the war and um, the United States won't do a trade deal with them because we've seen how um, emotional uh, Donald Trump can be in in the way that uh, he conducts his foreign policy yeah. um, and in that scenario I think we do have to ask the question about how much does Boris Johnson want a trade deal and would that be the price he would pay getting involved in some kind of military sense in a war i'm not really sure on the answer on that one but i i i think we have to be wary of that and not to uh, i think as a society as such we shouldn't place too much emphasis on getting a trade deal with the united states because of that just because we know how much uh, donald trump likes to kind of use the supposed economic clout of the United States to try and push other countries into doing something that they might not want to do. Mm. Um, but one other thing I'd just very quickly say is that um, in terms of if there is a World War Three, would you be kind of conscripted to fight abroad? I would say it's probably very unlikely and you could probably make your summer plans anyway, because it's <laughs> unlikely to be a, a, a conventional war where, where we're all going off to fight. It's more likely um, to end with basically the destruction of the planet if it was a proper yeah. proper war <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and on, on on that happy note uh let's let's move on to evie and she says this might sound a bit defeatist but do you think we will ever truly be able to protect the planet against the worst effects of climate change? Countries aren't moving fast enough to implement policies to reverse the damage that has already been caused. There are wildfires like in Australia, which the problem so much more because trees hold much of the carbon in the planet. And that's just the tip of the issue. I just can't help but feel like we are utterly doomed and there's nothing we can really do now, but accept that the planet will burn up in flames. Again, not be a bit defeatist. What do you think, Mr. Gurr? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously 
there is a lot of things going wrong with the planet right now and it does make you think that we might not be able to truly protect the planet against the worst effects of climate change i i would say don't lose hope um because i i think although maybe at this moment in time it appears that some of the effects of climate change are becoming irreversible i think there's there's always a way particularly when we consider how much technology can change um, and how much scientific understanding of different phenomena can change over time. Um, so I'd say that even if under current technology, some of the problems which we're seeing in 10 years perhaps um, are irreversible, that's not to rule out the fact that, um, that uh, technological advancements could make it that it is actually irreversible. And also I would say... I think we are getting better as a society at actually talking about climate change and, and taking more of the positive steps needed to make sure that we're working towards becoming carbon neutral and also just generally not um, not destroying um, rainforests and forests in general and, and things like that. I think there is more of a conversation about that which should move things forward as well and mean that we can protect the planet. Uh, what do you think, George? Yeah, I, I totally agree with what you're saying, Callum. And I think it, it is very um, easy to to be defeatist in the situation where we are seeing the effects uh, happening on our planet from uh, climate change and, and global warming. But, but what I would say is that the changes that countries are making today, um, we won't see those effects uh, straight away. We won't see what they are actually doing in terms of helping the planet straight away. It will take time for those to um, change into results and for us to see what the changes have actually made to the planet. Um, and I do believe that there are many, many countries that are now um, signing up to a greener global outlook and as Callum rightly says the conversation really is happening between individuals between governments um, and and it's so so important um, and I think if we had asked this question or even Evie if you had asked this question 10 years ago I would have said yeah I would be very worried but right now today I think there are there is so much importance um, around our carbon footprint and and go, going green uh, that the, we are making a, a massive political impact and we've seen that even from the uprise of the green party and certain areas like that and i think as time goes on more and more will develop in helping our planet yeah um, moving on to our final question it's from kirsty kirsty said i was having this conversation with mum last week because she wants me to get a part-time job but i think it's a waste of time so, because you guys are older than me, do you wish you had a part-time job when you were younger? Um, I mean, George, uh, did you have a part-time job when you were younger? Well, Kirsty, I don't wish I had one because I did have one. Um, I first had a part-time job uh, when I was, I think it was 13 or 14, when I worked at, maybe it was 15 actually, when I was at Next. Um, I worked at Next for a while um, in retail. Uh, loved it, absolutely loved it. And then after that, I went on and worked at Hobbycraft for three years part-time whilst I was at university. Now, I, I don't think it's a waste of time at all. You learn so many skills. You learn about um, the abilities to socialize. You learn about how to to interact with customers, how to deal with complaints, how to work tills, um, how to sometimes process money. And it, it gives you a chance not just to 
earn your own money and be able to go out and spend your own money. And there's something quite grown up and um, refreshing in, in actually being able to spend your own money and something that you own. Um, and also it, it, it helps you to, to, to grow up and, and allows you to be independent, which I think is so important. Um, and it can give you maybe sometimes even more of a social life because you create a wider friendship group. Uh, so I would definitely encourage anyone that is um, not just struggling for money, but wants something else to do on the weekend, whether it's a small Saturday job, to go out, hand your CVs out, find anything um, that is part-time and go and just, just get a job because it also helps your CV and, and helps your future prospects of possibly even getting a job. D- did you uh, have a part-time job, Callum? <laughs> it's so ridiculous because you obviously you know i did george um <laughs> uh yeah so i uh Kirstie, i did have a part-time job as well and i definitely recommend getting one i um i worked originally as a car cleaner and then i went and worked at tesco's after that oh, um that. <laughs> it was all right <laughs> um but i think it, it's a good thing because um as george maybe just alluded to there um it may be not it's not something you desperately want to do but sometimes it's good to just accept that you have to do things that you don't want to do in life as such um but more in general i think it increases your confidence gives you maybe a different circle of friends and i think it can give you a bit of a break from schoolwork as well um in the sense of that you're it's a break where you're not just then going on your phone or something like that it's actually kind of can be a proper break from it where you're not thinking about it um and i think that could be a really help healthy thing because um i think young people now have it um very difficult um in terms of the the pressure that they they have to undergo because of exams and things like that and I actually think although you might think I would be making the point you shouldn't have a part-time job I actually think part-time jobs can help relieve that a little bit by just giving you a different focus and maybe giving you a little bit of perspective sometimes yeah um right then uh, we've reached the time to end that uh, that topic but remember we'll be announcing what the question will be for you to send in your opinions on at the end of tonight's show so make sure you're ready for that for the chance to be featured in this segment of next week's show. Right then, we've reached the time for our first break. We'll be back shortly. Hello and welcome back to To Be Discussed. So let's move on to our second discussion of this evening. And we're asking, should the government end the UK's membership of Erasmus? See, I do know how to say it. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Following votes this week on the EU withdrawal bill, people have said the Tory government has voted against continued involvement in Erasmus scheme that allowed young people to spend time in other EU countries. The claim comes after MPs voted against new Clause 10, an amendment to the government's Brexit bill. The rejected clause would have compelled the government to seek to negotiate continuing full membership of the EU's Erasmus Plus Education and Youth Programme. Crucially, what many commentators seem to have missed is that voting the clause down, as Conservative MPs did, is not the same as scrapping the UK involvement in the scheme. The University's Minister, Chris Skidmore, tweeted that the vote does not end or prevent the UK participating within it, adding, we remain open to participating and this will be part of the future negotiations with the EU. We highly value international students' exchange. So, Callum, 
with this all in mind and with the potential that the government could stop our involvement within Erasmus, do you think the government should seek to scrap it? No, uh, absolutely <laughs> not. Right, shall uh, we move on then? <laughs> I'm just getting to the point, George. Um, you know, it's what people want. Uh, no, I, I don't think that the the government should be looking to scrap their membership of Erasmus. Um, but I think before I get to perhaps why I think that, I think we should just have a, a quick discussion about the fact that there has been evidence of fake news spreading around this week um, about, uh, as you alluded to in your introduction, George, about um, this um, amendment that was made um, uh, with regards to the UK's membership of Erasmus. And it was basically trying to get the government to commit to um, maintaining the Erasmus membership as part of negotiations with the EU. Um, and the way that a lot of left-wing commentators, but also maybe some centre-right commentators were um, using this and, and were um, illustrating this amendment was the fact that the government had actually kind of voted to seize the UK's membership of Erasmus. Um, so I, I think obviously that's a, that's a really terrible thing, but um, w because it's being used as a kind of political football, but I also think it's terrible because um, there's maybe potentially people who are listening at home or or their their friends that um, are, are maybe thinking or want to in the future take part in the Erasmus scheme, but thought that opportunity had been taken away from them. I can say that as of right now, it has not been taken away from you and you should go ahead and try and do that if that's something you want to do. Um, and, and I think it's really important that um, commentators are a bit more frank about the fact that that that's what's happened and, and it, it's not been taken away from people. Um, I, sorry, carry on, George. I was just going to say, I think I think on the point about how a lot of things have been misleading about this whole vote um, on Erasmus, I, th I think it's, it's a case where Callum and I always try and make the point that whatever news you see, always try and find and do a bit of research around it because it's so important. Because unfortunately, when we come down to things like education and, and votes on the House on education and membership of the EU, um, we will always see it turn into a political football, which is totally wrong. And it is so important that yourselves as individuals read an article that might say one thing, but then try and find an article that says another thing. And then you can come to your own conclusion and, and read about what was actually voted on and what the the involvement was of the UK and, and why certain MPs voted the way they did, because it's so important when you come to making those decisions. Like Callum said, there are probably quite a few of you out there that were wanted to be involved in Erasmus and thought, oh, I can't anymore. But just do the research and make sure you know what is truly going on and don't believe the first thing that comes up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so getting back more to the question <laughs> at hand then, I suppose, um, as we've taken a bit of a tangent there. Um, I, I, as I say, I don't think the government should be looking to end the UK's membership of it. I didn't actually personally participate in the Erasmus scheme, but many of my friends have done, and they've always said it was very culturally beneficial to them because um, it give, gave them a chance to experience another country uh, in the continent as such. And, and the other thing I'd say is that the uh, membership of Erasmus isn't necessarily tied to EU membership. Of course, it's forming part of negotiations. Um, but there is examples of, of um, members of the Erasmus scheme that aren't members of the EU, or at least aren't full members of the EU. You know, Turkey, Iceland, Norway, they're all members of it. Um, and even Russia, 
is actually a partner country of it, which means that it doesn't take part in the full Erasmus scheme, but it can um, kind of take some of the benefits from that. Um, so, you know, it's evident that just because we're going through these Brexit negotiations, it doesn't mean um, that we need to sacrifice our membership of Erasmus. And I will say that I, I don't think the government's plan is to sacrifice that, but we we will very much see. I mean, what do you think, Josh? Do you think the government should be aiming to get rid of it? Oh, a- absolutely not. I think it's something that is so important for the education of, of uh, students. And the the whole whole point about us, um, for, for me personally, coming out of the EU is to be a more global society. And I think if we got rid of um, Erasmus, then then it would be completely uh, stupid because we we wouldn't have a global outlet then. And, and as Callum says, it's not just those with the countries within the European Union, and it's those that are part of the continent of Europe. Um, and it's so important that we are encouraging students and those that want to go abroad to to educate themselves in different cultures. Um, we we allow them to do it because um, going to university isn't just sometimes about studying the the course that you're on it's about going abroad seeing how other people how other people live and and being able to to develop in yourself as well because ultimately you're investing in the future generations of this country and surely that will make this our country a better place to live if we have people that are being able to mix with different cultures and and being able to experience different cultures because they will be able to bring back the the benefits back to this country and and help our country develop yeah yeah and uh, i mean just to kind of address maybe some of the arguments that have been used in favor of the uk and in its membership of erasmus um so there's been an article by madeline grant in the telegraph this week uh, actually it was only a a day ago, I think, um, basically alleging that the Erasmus scheme has always been kind of more about trying to help build a European empire by um, having young students go over to different countries and, and maybe seeing they have a lot in common with these other European students and um, kind of creating this kind of what they would say is, is a fake European identity I mean, and kind of forcing that upon young people. Um, I mean, obviously, you're you're fairly Eurosceptic, George. I mean, do you think there's any um, credence to that argument? Do you think there's a strength to that argument, or is it is it rubbish? No, I, I think I think there's. The, I I don't have a problem with um, Europe as a continent. I I respect people's cultures. I believe that everybody should be able to experience different cultures, and and I don't see how this is a system that is trying to brainwash younger people and making them. You know, love other people's cultures and so on and so forth. I think that is utter rubbish. And yes, I don't agree with the European Union, but I love Europe as a whole. I love the countries within Europe, and I and I would encourage any person to to be able to go um, to any of the countries within Europe and and experience the different cultures there because it's so it's so lovely um, and you can learn so much. So I think that that idea um, that has been put forward there is is an utter load of rubbish because if if we had the same system with America, we wouldn't be saying it about um, America at all. So I, I really do not believe that is the case whatsoever. Really don't. I mean, I'm guessing your your mindset is very similar to to what i'm saying callum yeah i mean i could taking the hyperbole away from the argument in terms of building an actual european empire i think that there is a kind of goal of creating uh, a european identity in a really loose sense of the term not anything to 
to match na- national identities as such, but but perhaps just to show we've got um, things in common and we, we can cooperate on on certain levels. Um, I, I think maybe the Erasmus scheme does have that as a as a kind of minor goal, but the the main goal of it, I think, is is to um, enrich universities, but also enrich students' lives in terms of being able to, you know, explore different countries. Um, just um, very quickly, then, George. I mean, you obviously didn't take part in the Erasmus scheme either. Do, is it something you wish you'd taken part in? Um, I, I mean, hindsight is a beautiful thing. I, I suppose, yes, there are some elements that I do wish that um, I, I did take part. But ultimately, my my uh, degree wasn't really a, something that I could have really taken abroad. But I think if I'd given if I was given the opportunity, then definitely I probably would have done it. How about you, Callum? Yeah, I'm, I somewhat regret um, not not doing it because it is obviously really beneficial. It forces you to to see the world really from a different perspective. Um, but but for me personally, I, I just uh, wanted university to be over, really. Um, so I didn't want to add another year onto my degree saying that as and now I'm doing a master's degree. So I wasn't very successful at that. But hey, and, uh, and, and just lastly, Callum, as you said about um, us being kind of a, a kind of nation and saying that we're European. So if you were outside of Europe and someone came up to you and said, um, where are you from? Would you say you're a European or would you say you're British? I'd say I'm British, definitely. Oh. Uh, I mean, well, you'd obviously say you're British or English, wouldn't you, George? I'd, I'd say I'm sanitarian. Uh, <laughs> Phoenician, George, it's Phoenician. Oh, I do apologise. For everyone that doesn't know what that is, that's where Callum and I, that's a district where we uh, come from. Um, and who do you, what, what way do you think this is going to go, Callum? Uh, uh, no, very high. 80% no. What uh, about you? I'm going to say 85% no. Um, (laughs) So uh, it is now time for our second song break of this evening. And remember to vote on this poll. Should the government end the UK's membership of Erasmus at, and you can do that by uh, going to wizardbread.co.uk forward slash system. And we'll be back after this break. Hello and welcome back. So, before that break, we asked the question, should the government end the UK's membership of Erasmus? So, uh, the results of that poll have just come in and 16% of you have said yes and 84% of you, thank you very much, have said no. Well, Callum, I was uh, pretty right on that one, wasn't I? Yeah, I mean, to be fair, I actually wasn't really wrong or anything, but uh, you were close, so I hold my hands up, George. Yeah, I mean, well I, would, done. I would love to know the arguments for the 16% that have said yes. Yeah, I, I, I was thinking that as well, George. It's, it'd be a really interesting um, discussion to have as such. Yeah. <laughs> right then, uh, moving on, on to our third discussion of this evening, we are asking which of these will cease to exist by 2030? Um, and before I get into that, the options are petrol or diesel-powered cars, handheld smartphones, Facebook, cigarettes, all of these, or none of these. Um, so we've reached the beginning of the 2020s with a new decade signaling the start of new innovations, new technologies, and new downfalls. The last decade saw the decline of the telephone keypad in favour of the QWERTY format. 
amongst other major technological and behavioural shifts amongst the Earth's population. But what will this next decade bring? It is highly likely that something which many or all of us use right now will be placed on life support in the next 10 years, replaced by newer and superior technology. So which of the following will cease to exist by 2030? Could it be petrol or diesel-powered cars as electric vehicles continue their climbing market share? Or maybe it'll be handheld smartphones, which would be replaced by an as-yet-unknown successor device. What of Facebook, though? Will this social media juggernaut cease to exist by 2030? Or could cigarettes continue to lose ground to vapes and disappear completely? Or maybe you think we'll have a proper revolution and all of these will disappear. Or finally, could actually none of these cease to exist by 2030? George, uh, which of these things will cease to exist by 2030? Or could it perhaps be that they all do? Well, uh, as always, you can tell this is your second week introducing this topic, Callum. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I do very much enjoy your introductions. They were much better than mine. Oh, yeah, I uh, <laughs> I you cease to exist by 2030. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, you haven't got another option, George. You can't. You can't say that. Oh man, <laughs> I I think it's it's actually quite fascinating. If we look over the last century, the uh, the noughties, 2010. Is it the noughties? I've got no idea. The 2010 until 2020. Um, it, what really has changed? And I personally think not too much has changed in terms of the things that we've lost. Um, but I, I think if we look looking forward, the the way that technology certainly is developing is in is ensuring that our lives will change. I think dramatically uh, more so in this upcoming century, the one that we are in right now. I definitely think there will be a surge towards uh, the lack of use of cigarettes. I think cigarettes will slowly decline and I think possibly vapes will, will become the, the thing to have and cigarettes not just due to the what they do to our bodies but also because cigarettes can't really um, dissolve within the, the environment and they stay there for years and years and years and they are polluting our country and I, and I do believe that because of that mainly in the move towards a greener society cigarettes will fade away looking at facebook i think facebook is slowly losing ground when we were younger when Callum and i were younger when we were 13 it first kind of really came into its own and it was quite a young place to be but now i do believe it is full of um mothers sharing things that no one really worries about um and people and and mums and, and older people sharing things about you know saying pass this on to the 20 people you love most um and i never do so <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's things like that and i i know and i think things like snapchat instagram twitter will overtake facebook handheld devices is a very interesting one i, I think we are so used to having something in our hands when we text and, and communicate to one another, that it would be hard to be able to see a different life with, without without that. Maybe having something on your wrist and, and being able to talk to someone on that or just having glasses that you can talk to. I've got no idea. Or maybe a little ring on your finger that you can just talk to. Who actually knows? Now, I, I've purposely been trying to put off the, the end of petrol and diesel-powered cars because I hope that doesn't really happen in a way. I think that petrol and diesel-powered cars will still be around, just not to the, the level that we know them today. I think electric cars will overtake them, but I, I believe that there will be be an element of classic 
cars that are petrol and diesel that will still be around and and as a petrol head myself i hope that that still happens um but even though i've just had a massive monologue there i do actually believe that all of these will actually still be uh will be here so i will go for the last option but callum i've just rambled on there for about half an hour what do you think so just okay you're going for none of these then i am so that's just because it's confusing way of wording it but i I know what you mean because that's exactly what I, i would go for as well i think that is the most likely outcome that actually none of these will cease to exist if if we mean that they completely disappear and no one ever uses them yeah. um I, I don't think that will happen because even records um which you know but actually the sound quality is maybe better but but in terms of records you know people maybe would have thought they'd have ceased to exist by now but there's actually been a growth i would say in terms yeah. of people listening to records recently so you know i, I you can never say that thing, things are dead because things become retro and then sought after um in terms of which of these two i think is the most likely i suppose based upon that to to cease to exist um it's a really difficult one actually because as you say i mean petrol diesel powered cars um ev sales are going up and that that is true i mean in 2018 there were two million units globally um sold of, of ev cars and that's according to McKinsey and company research. Um, but and and that is a growth, um, an increase of 63 percent from 2017. So it does show there is an expanding market of that. But that's still only 2.2 percent of um, the overall light vehicle market. And so, you know, the market penetration there is, is just is just not there. Um, and, and so it seems really unlikely that EVs could suddenly become the, even the dominant um, car type. Um, in terms of handheld smartphones, p- possibly I would maybe head towards that um, based upon the fact that there probably will be another device that isn't categorized as a smartphone that does come along soon. I do think that that will happen. But how much will that be categorically different to a smartphone? Probably not massively as such. Mm. Um, and in terms of cigarettes, I mean, they're obviously probably one of the ones with the lowest number of people to actually use them now. I mean, um, it's estimated in 2014 by the World Health Organization that 20 percent of the world um, smoke cigarettes. So that's about a billion people. Um, so you could say that that's not actually a massive figure um, in terms of in relative terms to the rest of the um the things that we've outlined to to bring down but even so i think there's always going to be that conception of um being a bit rebellious and therefore smoking cigarettes so i don't think that will (laughs) cease to exist either um yeah but uh, a question i have for you george is that given we both think that none of these will really truly cease to exist which of these would you most like to see cease to exist oh that's a very good question callum Surely cigarettes. Uh, <laughs> you do smoke though, don't you? So it's a bit more difficult for you. <laughs> yeah, I do smoke. Although I, although because um, the UK are getting rid of menthol cigarettes, I have decided that I will be quitting once they are got rid of. Um, I, I think for me, it's between Facebook and cigarettes because I, I believe Facebook is is losing ground, um, and I think it will be non-existent 
within uh, 10 years or so. So I, I do think that, but if I'm going to be good, it, it will be cigarettes. Yes. How about you, Callum? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've kind of revealed my hand already, but yeah, I, I suppose <laughs> I'd most like for, to see cigarettes cease to exist by 2030. But yeah, Facebook, I wouldn't, I don't think I could live without Facebook anyway, as long as there is other social media platforms out there, because I do think that there is an inherent benefit to social media platforms, although obviously they've had problems. Mm. Um, I mean, what do you think of these options going to come out on top? Um, I I would definitely say uh, it will be the option that says actually none of these, but but that's what I would say. Well, how about you, Karen? What are you, what are you thinking? Yeah, I think I think none of these will will come out top probably as well. Um, I guess we'll find out in a second. So remember, uh, the question that you're answering the poll to is which of these will cease to exist by 2030? The options are petrol or diesel powered cars, handheld smartphones, Facebook cigarettes all of these or none of these and you can answer that question on wizardradio.co.uk forward slash listen and we'll be back very soon hello and welcome back so before the break we asked which of these will cease to exist by 2030 and you guys have been voting away um, so 38% of you said none of these, so that came out on top. 21% of you said cigarettes. 19% of you said petrol or diesel-powered cars. 13% handheld smartphones. 8% Facebook and 1% all of these. Mm. Um, so, George, I mean, I guess we were kind of right, but I'm actually surprised by how much all of the other options have got um, because I just think it's really unlikely that any of these will cease to exist. I mean, what uh, do you think? Uh, well, I think I think it's it is it's crazy how high cigarettes are, um, and also how high petrol-powered cars uh, are as well. I think it's going to be interesting to see the the future of when possibly you know everyone starts learning to drive, and their first car might be a a Nissan Leaf or something. <laughs> yeah, that would be weird. It would. Right. Okay. So let's move on to our last and final discussion of this evening. And we're asking, what will make you the happiest in the future? So looking ahead to the future, we all, I think, have an idea of what we would like our lives to be. So out of the following options, what would make your future the happiest? Having a loving family, being financially secure, having your dream job. Well, Callum, which one of those would you choose? It's difficult, actually, because, I mean, in reality, I suppose, some element of all of these. Um, but as I have to pick... You do have to pick. <laughs> I think having a loving family is actually the most important thing now. Oh, you um, it, I mean, because I guess... Also, in terms of having a loving family, in terms of the fi financial security, maybe <laughs> my parents will be chucking away at this, I think. Um, <laughs> they can maybe provide that financial security a little bit if you've got, if you've got a, a, nice, a nice, good family. They might not be able to provide you the dream job, but, you know, who cares? You've got money anyway. Um, <laughs> But obviously, um, <laughs> I make it out as if we're rich or something. We're really not. 
Um, <laughs> but obviously, having a dream job is is a a massive thing, I think, as well. Um, and I I'd, I'd love to have my dream job as well, although that would be stressful, and you'd need a loving family to support you in that. So. Mm-hmm. There we are. As I say, really, the realistic answer is he needs an element of all of these. But if I had to pick one, having a loving family. What about you, George? Well, I unfortunately have to disagree with you, Callan, that it is very hard to uh, single out one of these options. But uh, as this is the question that I came up with, I think I have to answer it. So I'm going to have to go along with you, Callum, and say that I would have to have a loving family because without a loving family, I wouldn't be where I am today um, in, and I wouldn't have the support that I have around me. I think it's so important, no matter where you are in life, to have a loving family that can support you through anything. Um, and even if you don't have money, even if you, you aren't in your dream job, you would feel secure because you have a family around you that would support you through the decisions that you're making and, and being able to ensure that you have that level of security and a home to go home to in a in a sense. Um, but I, I can ultimately also see how important it is to people to have a uh, have a dream job. And absolutely, I, w- I would love to have my uh, dream job in the future. I, I think it's something that it's always great to have ambitions um, and to have something to a goal to try and achieve. And it, it can always sometimes be hard to get there. But if you have something to work towards, then I think it, it makes it easier and your decisions come with with i don't know more ease i suppose when when you're in that situation and then financially secure i think everyone would like to be financially secure and as i will always say money doesn't buy you happiness um thanks jesse j um <laughs> and it it's very true i i think money goes a long way towards happiness but ultimately the things that i think people don't realize is that when you start earning money and when you start going up the promotion line earning uh, more and more money getting pay rises is that it doesn't become easier in actual fact you just um change your lifestyle when sometimes having more money isn't actually an easy option you sometimes have more bills to pay you decide to spend more that actually puts more pressure on yourself and so on and so forth and if you have a well-paid job it's normally because you're in a very high position and a very pressured job so even though you might be financially secure other stresses might be coming to factor that you might not realize um but ultimately yeah i i have to argue for having a loving family um callum is there an option on this that i ha- that should have been there um about what will make your future happy all of these george as i've been banging on about <laughs> no, but is, is there one is there an option that we haven't mentioned uh oh um it's a very good question george thanks um i think no no i'm gonna <laughs> say there isn't Mainly because I can't think of anything now, George. You've really put me on the spot. Um, do, you, do you think there's an option there that maybe should have been included? Um, I suppose possibly you could have a, a sub option from having a loving family and, and, and what will make your future happiness is being married and having kids. Is that something that you would have picked? I kind of took that as a um, as having a loving family as maybe being... Uh, an extension of that anyway as such oh, okay. All right. so, so I, I guess by that logic I, I, don't, I don't see it as being necessary but I also do at the same time if that makes sense like as in I, I do think that 
being married and having kids is is a goal that I would like to achieve as such. I mean, do do you think so? Oh yeah, absolutely. I totally I would definitely put that on a sub option there but it is now time for um our lovely audience to uh, vote away because it is time for our final song break of this evening and um, don't forget to vote on this question what will make you the happiest in the future and you could do that at wizard radio code okay forward slash listen and we'll be back after this song Hello and welcome back. So before that break, we asked, what will make you the happiest in the future? Uh, as you guys have been voting away and the results have come in with the following results. So 40% of you said that being financially secure will make you the happiest. Uh, 31% of you said having a dream job will make you the happiest. And in last place, with 29%, was <laughs> having a loving family. Well, none of our audience obviously have loving hearts. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's a good way to get rid of all of our listeners, George. Nice I, know. I know. I'm sorry. No. Do you know what it is, my our lovely audience, is that um, I'm just very jealous that you're uh, you're that mindset and that you, you can go on and, and have, have a good job and career because... I'm just obviously going to live in a car box with my family. (laughs) But at least you'll have a loving family around you, George. Exactly. (laughs) uh, There's more to life than money, they do say. Um, But no, obviously, financial security is a a really important thing. And I I completely understand why people would would pick that. And obviously, having your dream job, I suppose, in in many circumstances, would probably come with financial security anyway. Um, So so obviously, that is a, a really key thing for a lot of I, a lot of people are you surprised by that result um yes uh, if i was going to say having a loving family w- wouldn't win i probably would have said having your dream job would have done mm. um not the financial security bit just because as i say i think having your dream job does in most circumstances probably mean you've got a relative's financial security yeah um but i guess people would maybe have different conceptions of what financial security is i mean are you surprised by that george yeah no i I definitely am i really am i it's it's come as a surprise right okay uh thanks for listening everyone to to be discussed with kuppinger we do very much hope you have enjoyed this episode so as mentioned earlier for the first segment of next week's show we'd like you to send in your opinion on the question where do you see yourself in 10 years time Uh, You can send those opinions by email to station at wizardradio.co.uk or through Twitter, that's at wizradio. So remember that question is, where do you see yourself in 10 years' time? And we're looking forward to hearing those next week. Uh, But it's now time for George and I to say ciao for now. So I've been Callum Gurr. And I've been the not boring by not changing my name, the gorgeous George Lawrence Cup. Uh, <laughs> thanks, thanks very much for listening, everybody. We'll be back next week at the same time and the same place for another episode of To Be Discussed.
It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com